helps me. Every time I stand before the class, every time I do everything that I do at Nazarene Theological College, to always remind myself about the end product. Allow me to share with you from the gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. I wish I had time to read each and every verse there, but I'm going to be reading from verse 14. I hope you will be able to understand my English because uh, Dr. Graves, uh, the president, has just disappointed me. We had made an arrangement that I will be uh, preaching in Zulu and he will be interpreting. So he decided to disappoint me this morning. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let us pray. We honor you, O God, for who you are, and we submit under the authority of your word. And I pray that right now, O God, May you come and speak to us through your word. May you come and remind us of the calling that you have laid upon us. May we understand what you are all about. And may we hear your heartbeat, your passion, and your desire for NBC and for the kingdom around the world. We bless you, Lord, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Fishermen or fishers of men. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them, they highlight the calling of the first disciples. They put the calling differently, but if you look at it, even, even uh, uh, St. John in his gospel, he says something about this calling, even though not exactly the way the three gospel writers put it. According to uh, St. John, the gentlemen are introduced to Jesus as Jesus is coming towards John the Baptist. And the gentlemen are introduced as the, uh, the, the disciples of John the, the Baptist, at least some of them. And then John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And they turn away from John the Baptist, and they follow Jesus. And they ask him a question, Rabbi, where do you stay? And he says to them, 
come and see. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke present the calling around the Sea of Galilee. John the Baptist, this time, his name is also mentioned, except that according to Mark, he's not mentioned as someone introducing the Lamp of God. He's, in, he's being introduced as someone just about to be imprisoned. He's introduced as someone facing out of the ministry. And it is for a reason that the calling of the first disciples are linked together with the arrest or the going into prison of John the Baptist. Why John the Baptist? In fact, in this calling, you will realize the name John, it's so common because even Mark himself, it's said to be John Mark and John the Baptist and then John, the son of Zebedee. So it's John, 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 John. It's a John business. But this John in particular, John the Baptist, he's not here by default. He's playing a very crucial role to help us understand what this calling is all about. Mark chose, chose to say after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Why mention John? Why bring John? Why invite John to the party? Because John has a a business as a forerunner he has a business to do but you see Mark wants us to understand that the role that John the Baptist is playing here it's very crucial for the disciples to understand and for those of us who are called to train men and men for ministry to understand less we lose the gist of the matter who is John the Baptist well John the Baptist, as we know, he's the forerunner. He is the one who proclaimed the coming of Jesus. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. But he's more than that. He is, in fact, the model of the calling. The disciples who used to be his followers have seen him, have understood what he stood for. And when they followed Jesus, they thought, okay, enough of John's business. Now we want to do Jesus' things. But the truth is, we cannot fully understand the price tag of our calling if we do not invite John the Baptist to be part of what it's all about. You see, even though Mark, I mean, I'm sorry, even though Matthew and Luke will bring John the Baptist's arrest and his beheadedness right towards the end. Mark wants us from the beginning to say to us as facilitators, as men and women, training men and women for the ministry, to say to us, guess what? You need to understand, especially in our sanctuary, that when men and women are called into the ministry, they need to understand what it's all about. They need to understand John's calling. You see, John's calling, it's about sacrificing, giving away your life, and saying yes to God's calling, saying yes to God's invitation. Well, the disciples, as they are called, they are called around the sea, they have something in common with John the Baptist, 
beside the fact that they have been with him before. John the Baptist's life has been spent around the water, around the river Jordan. But it's around the water for a different reason as compared to, the, to Peter and his brother, and John and his brother. See, John the Baptist goes to the water to baptize for the kingdom. This gentleman goes to the water to fish for the stomach. Fishermen or fishers of men. A line is very thin. If we are not careful, it's possible to, to take men and women through the preparation for ministry and graduate fishermen instead of fishers of men. It's very possible to call them as fishermen and take them through the program, but never get them to be fishers of men. In fact, let me tell you, tell you this. I don't know about some, uh, America. America is a great country. You, you, see, you guys seem to have everything going for you. But back home in South Africa, I know that there are pulpits that are filled by fishermen posing as fishers of men. They, they, they all know the water. John, from the, the first chapter, John the Baptist is linked to the gospel. In fact, Mark will, will want us to understand uh, from the first verse, he says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the Evangelion, the gospel. What is this beginning? It's not a proclamation. In fact, he will say immediately after that, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger. He seemed to be saying the evangelium, the message, or the gospel cannot be isolated from the messenger. He seemed to be saying the message, the evangelium is incarnated in John. In fact, as the fishermen smell, you can smell fish from them, John the Baptist from the onset, you can smell blood from him. Yes, this is what it's all about. It's about bleeding. It's about dying. In fact, he, he is not only go, going to proclaim, here he comes, repent. He is going to even demonstrate how the Messiah is going to go about his ministry. And it's going to be I hope I'm using the correct term here, a bloody business. And, 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 and as we get sophisticated and as we get educated and as we become academics, let us not forget the heartbeat of the gospel. Let us not forget the sacrifice that goes with it. Let us not get too comfortable and miss the cross. Especially as we become, you know, technologically advanced and, 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 and then we become civilized and then we can, you know, we can shape the cross to make it look goldish and shining and beautiful. And sometimes we, we polish it so much that we lose the roughness and the cruelty and the blood and the sacrifice that goes with it. They are called after John is put into prison. 
Mark seemed to be saying, guys, this is the bleeding John the Baptist. Now he's arrested. The pulpit is empty. We are calling for some people to fill in his shoes. People who will continue the bleeding, sacrificing service. Well, stepping into Colorado Springs yesterday, at the airport I saw this big poster welcoming our troops. I, I don't think I know exactly. I didn't ask. I don't think I know where they are being welcomed from. But, but the, the, you know, the, the thought that came to my mind is, well, it's celebration when they are welcomed, alive, having survived the struggles of the, of the war. It's, it's embracing, kissing, and celebration time. But you know what? There are people who will look at that big banner and their hearts will be broken because the ones that they will be welcoming will not be the ones that you can embrace and laugh about. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine after, you know, you have lost so many soldiers and people have died and there's blood everywhere and, and, and all what you can sense, it's moaning and crying and then bleeding and funerals. Is that the right time to step up and ask for volunteers and ask for someone to step in? Well, according to my Shangan little South African common sense, that doesn't make sense. It's not the right time for marketing. The timing is not right. You create the atmosphere. You want to, to challenge people when everything is going well. In fact, you want to call pastors who are pastoring big and successful churches, who are good role models. They are the kind that will challenge and help our enrollment to grow. John, Mark, is not doing that. He's challenging people after imprisonment. And as we teach them, as we prepare them, let us keep on reminding them whose place they are going to take. Understanding our calling is very important. This is what the master says. Come. What an invitation. Follow me. Come, follow me. An invitation to replace John. It's an open invitation. I've already told you. It's an invitation that is made after disaster. Follow me. This is in a present continuous tense. He's saying to them, come, walk in my steps. Following Jesus, which Jesus? The very same Jesus who has been introduced by John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus will be walking exactly on the footsteps that John has already demonstrated before him. Just towards the cross, he will look back and he will say to his disciples, the very same group that he's inviting today, he will continue reminding them and he will say to them, if anyone wants to follow me, oh, he's saying it again, deny himself. Take up, oh, the blood again. Take up the cross and follow me. I must tell you, from where I come from, I have tasted poverty. I have tasted struggle. I have tasted bad times. I don't like struggles. I don't like blood. 
But when he called me, I realized that if you can't bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. Follow me, he says. You will, be, you, you will notice that the word follow me, in these few verses, it's mentioned more than three times. Follow me as a command. I command you to follow me. It's a condition. Because he says, follow me and I will make you. It's like saying, if you really want to become, if you want me to make you, there is a price tag to it. There is a condition to it. And the condition is, follow me. I was a student. And I know that an institution of higher learning like this one, you have men and women of God who pour out their lives and their everything to try to shape and prepare you for ministry. But sometimes the program gets so academic and the load work becomes so impossible that you forget to follow. You concentrate on the reading. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to advocate, advocate for less academic work. No, by no means. In fact, when, when and if students come to me and complain about the workload, I always say to them, do you want an option? And always the option will be add more. But it is within the, 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 the workload, it is, it's within the rush hours of life that as graduates, as, as leaders in our own right, as, as presidents, as academic deans and everything that we do, may we not forget to follow. Because if we forget to follow, how can we say like Paul to the students, follow me for I'm following Christ? It is in the following that we are being made. It is in the following that we are being transformed. He says, follow me. In fact, he will keep on saying it. Later on, in, in the second chapter, he will find um, uh, Matthew. And he will use the same phrase, follow me. And Matthew will stop everything and follow, me, follow him. Later on, he will challenge his disciples in the book of uh, the gospel according to St. John, after everyone has deserted him because they could not take it anymore. This following business, this drinking of blood and eating of flesh, this blood business, it's, it's, it's very much uncomfortable. It sounds like cannibalism, and I don't like the mention of the word. The smell of it is disgusting. But friends, that's what it's all about. We don't follow because it's comfortable. We follow because we believe the one who is calling. We don't follow because it suits us. We follow because it's the kingdom commandment. After everyone has left, he says to, to, to his disciples, do you also want to go? And Peter comes and says, Master, we are still in the following business. Where else can we go? Friends, where else can we go? Because it's only in him and in him alone that there is life and words of life. He says, 
follow me, I will make you. Yes, this I will make you, I think is the heartbeat of what, what it's all about. And I think I can say this as, 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 as principal or president of an institution of higher learning in the Church of the Nazarene. I, I think I can say this without sounding, you know, contradicting myself. That he said to them, follow me, I will make you. He never said, follow me, I will teach you. Because ministry is called more than taught. That's why the greatest uh, professors that have taught me holiness. You see, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm not a son of a, a, a Nazarene. I, I'm a Nazarene by choice. I'm a first generation, if, if there's anything of that nature. I did not understand this holiness business. But you know what? It's not, the, it's not what I learned from the textbook. It's not the notes that I took while the, the, the professor was, was dishing out. It's a holy life that I caught from men and women, missionaries who came to Africa and in, had incarnated holiness. Amen. And it made sense to me and I said, this is the life I want. Friends, more than the textbooks that have been written by great minds, more than the, the information that we have in the library, they will only follow if they see us following. That's the best we can give. Yes, our time, our talents, our everything. But if ever there's anything that we are going to give, anything that's going to make a difference, anything that will refuse to, to go to the grave when we die, it's who we are. I will make you, not I will teach you. It's not head knowledge, but heart purity. Not just information and good grades, but transformation. Changed lives. Not just competency, but character. We are not just here to make them great preachers, but we are here to create an atmosphere for them to become the message before they preach the message. I will make you. Make you what? Fishers of men. I've already said it in my opening statement. There is a thin line between fishermen and fishers of men. Fishermen do their business by hook or crook. Yes, that's how they operate. Whether you use the net in the night or a false bait during the day, as long as you can catch one. I guess you, you, you Americans don't have this, but I, we have it in South Africa. We have people you, catching them by hook or crook, using anything that will work as long as they can fill the church. Never mind the quality. Fishermen, yes, use hook by crook as long as there is a catch, as long as they can bring everything. It's all about numbers. In fact, it's not even about numbers. It's how much the numbers bring with them. To the offering plate. God help us. That we will never take a job because of how much will I get out of it. But we'll go because he says we must go. Fishermen operate by hook or crook but fishers of men operate by truth and transparency. 
fishermen are driven by self-profit, selfish gain. It's all about business. And if you, if you will visit uh, Luke and read the same story, you, you, will, you will see what Jesus does to test the prophet heart. He, he, he comes in and they haven't caught anything for the night. And then he, he, he uses their boat. And after using their boat, he says to them, push it inside and, and, and start fishing. And they said, Master, we have been doing the business the whole night. They like the, You see, fishermen like night business because they can hide the net. And then he says to them, let down the net. And then he says, oh, because you say so. Huh. Learning fast, eh? Because you say so. And they, they let down the net. And the catch was so great that they had to call their partners to come and help them. So, business was good. They were going to make good profit. It is before they make that profit, before they go and, 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 and see the value of the harvest, that Jesus says, stop being fishermen and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So while fishermen are driven by selfish gain and profit, fishers of men are driven by love and passion. Well, if you want to play with words, fishermen pull them to the frying pan. Fishers of men pull them from the frying fire of hell. There's a contrast. Fishermen are interested in killing the fish. Fishers of men are interested that they might have life. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is that I have seen it. There is a danger that they can go right through our nose and we do not notice that. They come as fishermen and graduate as fishermen and go down and pause as fishers of men. In fact, Jesus saw it coming. Before they could graduate, he said to them, you have gone through the curriculum, you know the, you, you know the material, but I have checked your hearts. You are not ready. Do not go. Do not go until, until you have been to the upper room, until we have taken out. You see, even, even towards the cross, Peter's language was a fisherman's language. He, he said the things that even the ordinary girl said, hey, hey, this one, this one. I think I've heard this language somewhere in Galilee next to the sea. It's a fisherman's language. We need transformation more than information. Mahatma Gandhi, it's said to have been somebody who loved and read the New Testament, especially the life of Jesus, the Gospels. And, and I was reading somewhere that, uh, you know, with interest, people ask him, somebody asked him, Mahatma Gandhi, after reading Jesus, well, what do you say about Christ? He said, you know what, I, I like the Gospels, especially the Sermon on the Mount. I like it. But one thing that disappointed Mahatma Gandhi is that he said, I have looked at Christians, and I am yet to see one 
who will leave it for me to see. See, Mahatma Gandhi had a philosophy, and his philosophy was become the change you want to see in the world. It is not about the sermon she preached. In fact, I, I don't remember reading, reading any sermon or any speech that she made. It's not about anything that she did, but it's about the life she lived, that Mother Teresa will always be remembered. It's who we become more than what we do. Somebody once said, nothing is more confusing than a man teaching morals that he does not live. And yet there is nothing more convincing than a man who embodies the morals or the teachings that he teaches. Follow me. I will make you. It is in the following that we become. And becoming should be the cry, the prayer. Should be, in fact, it is the essence of holiness. More and more like Christ. message this morning um, you know this is just the beginning of what I believe will be a historic week on, the, on this campus we've had many 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 wonderful years where God has poured out his spirit upon this place and uh, in, in a few short days now, they will be gathering from around the world. The cry of our heart is to see a great move of God's Holy Spirit. I know that uh, Dr. Louis Bussell, uh, Director of World Missions for the Church of the Nazarene, this is this whole event really 
came from, from his heart to see this happen literally around the world. And so he's bringing in all of the regional directors. And there will be others that will be coming along with them. And they're coming for one purpose. And that is to experience a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon their lives so that they can take this back and see this replicated in the regions of the world. <laughs> I got to tell you, I had no idea what I was saying yes to last year. And if I were honest with you, I, I've been nervous about it. You know, it's kind of like throwing a banquet and nobody comes. But the phone calls, they've been coming in. A van load from here, a van load from here. And we are so honored to have them come to our campus. So Monday and Tuesday of next week, we, are, we will be hosting this event. Many of you will be asked to do various things. But each morning in the nine o'clock session on Monday and Tuesday, you'll be in here worshiping and experiencing what God wants to say to his church during this time. I wanna thank you in advance for being gracious hosts and hostesses to our visitors that will come. I know that, uh, I know that you will make them feel welcome. And I know that we will witness an outpouring of his spirit. Mashangu uh, is my friend. I, I met him last year when I was privileged to be on his campus and uh, you might not know this but he also pastors a church and a man of God wonderful family and a great man of God with a great story of God's grace